You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. What's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris. Thank you for downloading the show. You can go to the website BibleProphecyTalk.com for more information, sign up for the email list, etc., etc. Okay, so today I think that we are going to just deal with one topic, and I'm not sure how popular this theory is. I get the sense that it's um, only moderately popular and that a lot of people on its face don't agree with it, but Nevertheless, I'm going to talk a little bit about it because I sense that it could be a bigger thing than it currently is. And that is the idea that this uh, new Greek politician, Alexei Tsipras, is a candidate for the Antichrist. And um, there's been some, some noise made about this by a number of people, notably RaptureReady.com uh, put out a a lengthy article suggesting that he is a strong candidate for the Antichrist. Of course, it does not endorse the idea that he is, and most people that talk about this give that caveat. That is to say, oh, well, we're not saying that he is, we're just saying that we need to keep an eye on him. And I guess that sentiment is 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 good, and I don't fault anybody for that, because if their um, understanding of the Antichrist doctrine um, makes this a, a, a viable candidate this guy, then, um, then sure, you, you should sound the alarm if you truly believe that kind of thing. I just think that their premises and the way that they're interpreting the doctrine of the Antichrist is wrong. Um, I don't really want to argue against a theory like this or this uh, particular candidate um, using my own uh, views. Many of you know uh, what I believe about it. I think that that's not a good way to do it. I was reading an article that was sort of debunking this from the Muslim Antichrist um, perspective. And and that's just not helpful regardless of what it is. Because if you say, well, he's not the Antichrist because the Antichrist is supposed to be a Muslim, then you, it's just circular reasoning. Um, and and that's the way I, I wrote the upcoming book, is, is not using any of my personal views to debunk the Muslim Antichrist theory, but uh, rather to just to just do it on, on the facts of what we can know uh, for certain, or at least relatively so. So anyway, let's talk a little bit about this guy. Um, he is, he's risen to power relatively quickly. He's a good-looking, uh, charismatic type guy, and he's young. He, um, I think probably the main thing that is biblical that they say about him is that he comes from Greece. Now, Greece is one of the four places that I think, and most people do think that the Antichrist will come from. That is to say, one of the, because of Daniel 8, which says that the little horn will come from one of these, when, when it's speaking of one of the four divided parts of Alexander the Great's kingdom, which, which was the Ptolemaic Empire, etc., and to the west of that was Greece and Thrace, or Macedonia and Thrace. Um, and so, so it's possible in terms of where he is from, which is a step forward than some of the other candidates, notably things like Barack Obama and whatnot. 
Um, so I think that that's the thing, that he is from a place that's a potential candidate uh, for the Antichrist. And, and honestly, I think that some uh, astute listeners will, will notice that I have in the past uh, said that I believe that the Antichrist of those four places, um, Macedonia, Greece, Thrace, is is one of the more likely ones. And I say that because when we see the Antichrist's uh, rise to power in a military fashion in Daniel 11, he's attacking uh, three compass points, north, east, uh, south, um, but we don't hear about him attacking anybody from the west, which is certainly not conclusive, but it does suggest that he could be from the west. He is, of those four, the westernmost of it, because all the other three uh, parts of Alexander's empire could be uh, understood as the north, east, and, uh, and west, though it's a little tricky because the east could be something outside of it. And in any, in any case, I think that that's the, the one main thing that they have going for this. But that certainly isn't enough to say, well, uh, he's the Antichrist just because a politician exists in Greece and is on the uh, news media radar. Um, so what do they say to bolster that case? Well, he's an atheist, and I think that's one of the big things. Um, there's been a lot of, in the past, a lot of people have speculated that the, especially in the, let's say, the early uh, the 70s, 80s, 90s, there was a big push for an atheist antichrist, particularly a, a humanist antichrist. That was sort of the enemy of the day back then. And uh, there was a, a push that the antichrist would be an atheist uh, this politician is a, a very outspoken atheist, and I think that is one of the things that are concerning to uh, people, especially that have held that belief that the Antichrist would be an atheist. Um, and I think that part of this is just because we're in a time where politicians can do that. I certainly think there's a lot of atheists in the American political system, but it's just not politically advantageous to declare that openly or to be uh, passionate about that. Greece is in a, a lot of trouble economically and otherwise, and they do need something to change. And I think whenever you need something to change, you will um, uh, encourage politicians to, to be outspoken and do something radical. In any case, let's go down the list here. He, In many cases, I, I look at this as kind of more of an enemy of the, the uh, political... Uh, right wing than anything else, such as like an enemy of Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity, more than anything fitting with the Bible. So, for example, he's openly supportive of gay marriage and uh, he's uh, promoting socialist values. He was an early, you know, member of a communist uh, party, and this kind of thing are all big, huge no nos for the right wing, which is, uh, you know, reasonable thing. But it doesn't mean that he's the Antichrist. It just means that he is uh, not a, at all a conservative political guy. Um, so, in that's, you know, there, there, a lot of the things that people make about the atheist thing have to do with his the Bible talking about uh, not regarding uh, the God of his fathers, being boastful against God and these kinds of ideas. And so that's sort of the support arguments for an atheist antichrist. But the idea of being boastful against God in scriptures, if you take, if you take some of them, you can just be left with the idea that he, that, that could be an atheist since he's boasting against God. Atheists 
certainly boast against God. So that could be a match, right? But when we consider all the times that it talks about this, uh, you know, everywhere from Daniel to Thessalonians to Revelation, we have a, a picture of this boasting that is far above simply an atheist's boasting against um, the truthfulness of the God of the Bible. This guy uh, is not just boasting against God. He is claiming to be higher than any God or anything that's worshipped. Now, you might say, well, atheists uh, in their sort of uh, view of the world would see themselves, I mean, some atheists, some of them would just see themselves as cosmic uh, mistakes or uh, whatever, but there is a sense in which you could uh, make that mean that they are the pinnacle of of evolution or something to that effect, or maybe even in the New Age idea that they're deity inside or something like that. Of course, that would be New Age, not atheism, but let's uh, just give it the benefit of the doubt for the sake of argument. Uh, it could mean something like that. If he's higher than God or anything that's worshipped, maybe that can go into atheism. But the the idea is that he is worshipped. This becomes quite clear as we get into the book of Revelation, and I would say even in Second uh, Thessalonians 2, really even Daniel. Um, the idea that he is uh, demanding worship uh, interprets those passages about the boastfulness of God. And really, all the types of Antichrist in the, in the past, when it speaks of this type of uh, abomination, it is a de- declaration of themselves as God uh, in a, a theological way. We can see so much evidence of this in in the Antichrist's actions in Scripture. He is sitting in the temple declaring himself to be God. Okay, that's that's a declaration of deity that far surpasses anything that an atheist would do. Um, and I guess you can come up with scenarios or whatever, but when you definitely see in Revelation 13, for example, that the world is worshiping him, not uh, atheism, it's him. Okay, so this this takes all those verses about his boastfulness against God and, and, and strips away the atheist argument because the boastfulness can then be interpreted as he is declaring himself to be higher than anything that is called God or that is worshipped as God. He is really declaring himself to be God of the Bible and higher than God in the sense that uh, higher than anything that's worshipped. That is to say, none of the other religions are true. This is the true religion and I am the head of it. So this atheist idea is just, to me, a, a, a false premise. And it's one of the things that they certainly focus on. Again, the idea that he's uh, radical left, that he supports things like gay marriage and, and socialism, is more of a politically conservative boogeyman than it is anything that we see in the Bible. Granted, you know, the Antichrist, in a sense, will be a, a, a communist, I, I suppose. I don't know. I guess you could come up with some ideas, not truly communist, but communist ideas, and that there does seem to be a global governance uh, with um, things like the Mark of the Beast system, though you can't really make that mean uh, communism, but it certainly is a global governance. Uh, other things that people say about him are just silly. The Rapture Ready, Ready article just waxed so poetic on things like uh, uh, that Thessalonica used to have Greek temples and, you know, huge uh, sections of that article were, t- were talking about how Greece you know, was a, a source of paganism in the ancient times and so on. 
and then saying, look, he made a speech in Thessalonica, which is in the Bible. And look, that just isn't an argument. I mean, if the Bible said something about the Antichrist going to Thessalonica and making a speech, then okay. But just because, the guy, I mean, Thessalonica is in Greece. I mean, we're in that area anyway. So the point is that, um, that no, it's not an argument just because there's, there's a, a word, Thessalonica, that appears in the Bible in the city. Um, other things are just as silly. So, for example, his party is called Cyresa, which literally translates to something like the party of the radical left or something like that. And I've seen people say, well, Syriza sounds like Syria and Syria is bad. Again, that's just not an argument. That is just hoping against hope that there is some kind of connection between these kinds of things. Um, uh, the boastful words argument again is is related to his uh, claims of deity, but most people will say, "Look, this guy is charismatic. He speaks well as a politician, and therefore that's what the, all the boastful arguments uh, in Scripture are, are trying to make that he's just simply charismatic as opposed to uh, openly blasphemous in his declaration of deity." So. Again, just because a guy speaks well is not what we're looking for. I think that we've been so corrupted, in a sense, by by these ideas of these pictures of the Antichrist given to us by things like the Left Behind series, where we see a charismatic politician who is a, really good at convincing people to like him as being a candidate for the Antichrist. When um, I think that we need to, if we looked at the scripture about the Antichrist, we come up with a lot of different things that just put that into perspective. For example, um, his his uh, military actions. We know that he comes to power in large part due to an absolute, uncontested conquering of many places. For example, the Daniel 11, his conquering of uh, Egypt, his conquering of uh, people in the east and his conquering of the uh, north, the king of the north, which uh, contextually in Daniel 11 is a coalition of Arab countries. We have pictures of those battles which suggest he is unbelievably skilled at war. Uh, we are told by Daniel that he is empowered by a god of fortresses, a god of war, many people interpret that as, which I think is um, appropriate. We look at uh, Revelation 13, we see that it's the dragon, that is to say Satan, that is empowering his ability to make war. Um, people say in Revelation, of course, uh, who can make war with the beast? And they worshipped and followed after him. There is a, a, a focus on his supernatural ability to conquer with war, people. That is a, a primary characteristic that we see the Antichrist um, doing on his rise to power. Without that, I don't see any kind of uh, you know connection to anybody. Now, a lot of these things that we're going to talk about are things that could happen in the future. He could go to Israel. He could do stuff there that looks like the Antichrist, but he hasn't yet. Um, so a lot of that stuff is just speculation. But what we can tell about the beginnings of the rise of the Antichrist is a, a conquering of other nations via military uh, uh, actions. 
And that is certainly not the case, nor is he talking or anything looks like Greece could be that kind of powerhouse. Now, granted, he could step out on the battlefield and be uh, supernaturally empowered by war, but we'll talk about that if he does it, right? I mean, until he does it, then, as far as I'm concerned, there isn't any reason to believe that. Now, the uh, Daniel 7 talks about how the little horn will or the, this boastful horn will rise out of uh, ten horns and subdue three of them. And now there isn't anything like that that's happened with his rise to power in Greece. The, as far as I know, there isn't anybody trying to make that happen. Well, I'm sure somebody's trying to make that happen, but there's no clear, obvious way that anybody could honestly say that he rose out of ten kings to, and subdued three of them or anything like that. People often view that as a political coup, that he's subduing or humiliating these three kings in order to be a part of this ten king or kingdom situation. And it very well might be. There's a humiliation aspect. Sometimes it's translated as subdued. Um, I think one could just as easily argue that he does that with warfare. His, His primary tool is warfare. People again, we'll say, well, his primary tool is his, uh, his boasting, his ability to convince people. But re- really, where are you getting that other than the boasting arguments, which I would suggest are boast against God primarily? It's not, hey, look at the Antichrist uh, speaking these marvelous things. And even that word marvelous tends to be kind of like amazing, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's saying that sort of things. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's an issue that the ten kings subduing three of them is not something that we've seen. And I would argue that that is a pretty early thing that he does um, based on Daniel 7 there. That's not something that happens later. That's something that happens at the beginning. This guy hasn't done anything like that. There doesn't even appear to be anything that he could do that with. There is no other ten-nation confederacy at the moment that he can subdue three of them uh, with. So... Uh, again, stuff like that could happen really quickly, but it hasn't. So, so no, I don't think those things give us any kind of idea that he's a candidate for the Antichrist. I also would argue that one of the early things that he does, um, maybe not as early as some of the, the Ten Kings thing, but still relatively early, is the making a covenant with many in Daniel 9, which includes the starting of the daily sacrifices in a rebuilt temple. And I'll make the kind of case here that I did with Barack Obama. If that is something that he's planning on doing, whether whether it's, you know, sitting, uh, I guess the sitting in the temple comes three and a half years later, but the starting, the building project of the temple would necessarily need to start like really, really soon if he's going to do this. And that just doesn't seem to be on the horizon anywhere. Uh, a rebuilding of the temple. Again, granted, things could happen quickly, but realistically, it doesn't look like it. He's certainly not making overtures to build a temple or or any concern in that way. So, again, we have another one of those, well, it could happen, but it's not anywhere close to happening. So, no, he's not a candidate for the Antichrist until he does some of this stuff. Also, the... Lying signs and wonders that are described in Second Thessalonians 2, and we see pictures of them in the book of Revelation, that just doesn't seem to be something that an atheist would, would do. Obviously, an atheist would be anti-miracle, so uh, how would that fit in? 
again, you could say, well, he's going to do all the miracles later on. And that, you know, brings us right back to the same problem of if he's not done any of this stuff and it doesn't look like he's going to do any of this stuff, then why have him be a candidate for it? If he's not performing miracles now, what evidence does that give you that he's going to perform miracles in the future? Uh, if that is the way that we do this, then we can literally propose anybody for the Antichrist and say, oh, he's going to do all that Antichrist stuff later on. Um, and that brings us, I guess, to the false prophet, which, again, seems like um, something that an atheist wouldn't do, have a sidekick who is committed to uh, doing false miracles in order to get us to worship the Antichrist. Um, and that idea of being a false prophet at least gives us the inclination to believe that he will claim to be a prophet of some kind that is getting divine in, uh, words from God. Um, so, yeah, that just does not seem like anything that he's going to do. I've seen people say, well, he met with the Pope, and there's your false prophet. But even his meeting with the Pope, which was a political necessity, basically, um, was something he said, look, we don't agree on our on anything, basically, theologically, but we uh, agree on humanitarian values and that kind of thing. And that's just politics. That's not him saying, oh, the Pope is my false prophet. And, I, you know, even if you thought the Pope was the false prophet, you'd still have to say that the false prophet will inevitably have to promote this guy as uh, God and convince people by prophecies, uh, false prophecies, uh, to worship him. And I don't know where you are on that, uh, but I don't think the Catholic Church is going to promote an atheist as uh, God or as much as I don't agree with the Catholic doctrine, I don't think that the Pope is going to endorse, endorse an atheist as, as God and, and try its best to get people to worship him. So, again, no, that's just not going to work. Um, now, I could get into some of the reasons that I personally believe that this is an impossibility. Things like um, the Jews accepting a Greek, non-Jewish politician, atheist as their messiah... And uh, it's just not going to work. I did a, I think the last podcast I talked about some of the uh, arguments against whether or not uh, um, the Antichrist will be seen as the Messiah to the Jews. But I certainly do think that he will. And we can go into lots of stuff like that. But I will try to stay away from promoting my own personal ideas about this, as I said before. And just to, I guess I'll, I'll conclude this point by saying that. Um, or this whole this whole argument, I suppose, just as a warning to not uh, to not stray so far from scripture just because something is is interesting, and to point out again that we have as uh, as Christians been so vulnerable to seeing our political circumstances of the day as uh, fulfilling Bible prophecy. We've done this since the very beginning. Uh, we thought, you know, the the early church clear, clearly thought that the persecution of the Jews uh, in Judea uh, of the early church was, uh, uh, you know, a fulfillment of the end times. And after that, the persecution of the Roman Empire and its uh, the and its godless system of the Christians was a fulfillment of the end times. We see see that with people thinking Nero. 
you know, was the Antichrist. And then later, of course, with the Catholic Church and its persecution of Christians, well, it was, you know, the Pope, all the early reformers thought. And then, you know, as Rome was destroyed in the Middle Ages, it was the Khazars and the heathens and the and the Mongols and the, uh, y- you know, all, all that stuff. That was the Antichrist. You know, Gog Magog was later... Uh, during World War Two or World War One, it was you know we we could go on and on. It was supposed to be this, it was supposed to be that, just because things were bad for Christians and whoever does anything bad for Christians in that political circumstance is is it. Of course, later it was Russia. Now it's the Muslims. We just do this, and speculations about the Antichrist are uh, exciting, um, and you, you know people want to see the return of Christ, and so are vulnerable in that sense as well, in a, in a good sense, to uh, jettison what the Bible tells us about this situation, about the Antichrist and about the end times in general, to cut corners, to disregard, to um, to to uh, just play fast and loose with the text in order to make this be uh, happening right now. But it's not, and I don't Right now, you may have noticed a part of this prophecy program is me not speculating about the news very much. And and I promise you, if the news ever looks like the Bible, I'm going this is going to change into a news show, you know, your prophecy in the news kind of show. But until then, we have the Bible and we have uh, making sure we understand what it's saying as clearly as we can uh, to work with and. Of course, we keep an eye on the news. It would be uh, irrational to to not uh, do that. But if if we don't see anything happening yet, then we should be okay with saying nothing's happening yet. And we, you know, the blood moons and the mystery of the whatever that Jonathan Kahn new book is is um, is just more of that kind of uh, fervor. Uh, I think we are coming up on another blood moon, so that should be a big deal. Hey, if you uh, are interested, people on Facebook posting blood moon stuff, don't hesitate to post my blood moons debunked. It's still relevant and will be so until at least the end of 2015. So um, so here we go with that again. And this has just been a, a problem that is plaguing uh, prophecy. Whenever we see a comet pass by, whenever we see an eclipse... Uh, we're all freaking out and and attributing things to the Bible that are just not supposed to be attributed to the Bible. So anyways, I will conclude this point with that uh, admonition. Okay, a few show notes and I will be out of here. Um, I As I mentioned in the last podcast, I finished the uh, writing of the book, the Islamic Antichrist book, which I'm really proud of. It's a very comprehensive look at... Uh, at uh, the arguments that the Antichrist will be a Muslim, and I tried really hard to just deal with as many of those claims as I can in a thorough and respectful way. So that should be out soon. I just sent the manuscript to the editor, and uh, they said it would be about four weeks, though they said that they would be sending me uh, the book a chapter at a time so I can be recording the audio version, which means that I'll be able to post some of that uh, here on the podcast as I record it. And I hope that you are patient with me because after I get that audio done, I'm going to be editing, uh, video editing for a long time. It's been taking me a little bit longer to 
to edit video these days because of, um, well, a new program. I'm working with Adobe Premiere now, and it's a lot of a learning curve. But also I've tended to be a little bit more thorough with editing these days. So um, the time it takes me to edit has grown exponentially as well. So be patient with me. I will try to keep updating the podcast. If you have any questions about Bible prophecy, please send them to me. Um, I think it's chris at BibleProphecyTalk.com or any of my other emails if you have that email as well. I would encourage you to go to the website BibleProphecyTalk.com and stay updated uh, with the email list if you are interested in the upcoming book. And I think that's all oh, well there I just I just put out a video that doesn't really relate to Bible prophecy at all but I will mention it here briefly it's a uh, Coral Castle debunked uh, with new footage and it's on uh, both of my main YouTube channels and it's really quite fascinating it's um, it's some new footage that was discovered uh, recently by a guy who bought the the tapes at an auction or something like that and it actually shows Edward Leeds Gallant Edward Leedskalman building Coral Castle uh, in a, in some 1930s uh, you know short film uh, with very regular tools, uh, chain hoists and the like, and it to- totally debunks the Coral Castle idea. Um, that video has been picked up and, and uploaded to other channels, and it's just got a bunch of views out there because it really does 100% debunk all the conspiracy theories about how Coral Castle was built. So if you want to check that out be my guest and i will see you guys later bye-bye thanks for listening if you would like a free copy of the christianity 101 dvd which contains eight gigabytes of audio video and text of various discipleship materials on a data dvd please go to any one of my websites and look for the christianity 101 button it's totally free and i'll ship it to you wherever you are in the world if you would like to support this ministry or any of the others that I do, please consider a tax-deductible donation, which can be sent by PayPal using the email chris at chriswhiteministries.com or by clicking the PayPal button on any one of my websites. Another great way to support this ministry is by writing a review of the podcast on iTunes or writing a review of my books on Amazon. Reviews figure very prominently into the ranking algorithms of both of those websites, and the higher they rank, the more people that can be reached. Thanks for your time and for subscribing to this feed.